My friend Scott used to go to this place called Club Cafe here in Boston, which is a great place to meet guys. I was shy until somebody talked to me. I would never approach anyone. One of my, like, highlights of my life was this guy walked into Club Cafe, and he, at the time, he looked like Hugh Grant. And I was like, oh, my God. Hugh Grant then or Hugh Grant now? Hugh Grant then. Okay. And I just remember he was so preppy. He was wearing this uh, uh, Ralph Lauren shirt. And I remember thinking to myself, if I could sleep with that guy, my life would be complete. I I mean, it's very melodramatic. (laughs) And I was standing there and and he went to get a drink and then he was standing right next to me. And he turned to me and I turned to him and he said, hi, I'm... Yeah, Mark. Hugh. And I'm like, hi, I'm I'm Scott. And we chatted for maybe 30 seconds. And I think I said, do you live around here? We should go back to your place. And he had this look of horror. Like nobody has ever like jumped him that quickly in a conversation. Did it work? Absolutely. From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. When I started dating, I heard about this rule. On a third date, if it all goes well, you have sex. It's not a rule I buy into, though, because sometimes it takes way more than three dates to want to have sex with someone. Sometimes you might know you're ready after one date, maybe after half a date. I know many great couples who had sex hours after meeting, and they wound up falling in love forever. Many letter writers and people in my life have asked me, though, when's the right time to sleep with someone? What they're really asking is, when should you get intimate if you want a relationship to last? The problem with that suggestion is that it suggests that if you do it too soon, you can ruin a new relationship. By the way, this fear is almost always expressed to me by straight women, many of them who are younger, but more on that later. In general, I'd rather people think about how they know what's right for them, as opposed to following any rules. So today I want to spend some time on this. I'm going to talk with three different people who each have a different take on this question. I should remind you, I am not a sex advice columnist. I'm also guilty of being super sex positive about everyone but myself. I know I've waited way too long with some people because when I like someone a lot, sleeping with them can feel like a big emotional risk. So I find myself withholding. But listen, I'll deal with that in therapy. So let's talk about sex. The person who taught me all about sex positivity was my sister, Brett. Having an older sister who wanted sex, found it, and never seemed ashamed to enjoy it was a good thing for me. Sometimes she was daring. Brett lost her virginity in her bed down the hall from my sleeping mother. Brett was a teenager at the time. That same night, she had another hookup with the same person on my childhood swing set. I have forgiven her for this. My mother tore down that swing set years later. After the swing set incident, Brett went on to have many interesting relationships and experiences, as you know from this podcast. She's happily married now and in her 40s. Anyways, she's still my hero. 
I'm about to ask you a question that I think is going to be a meaningless question to you, which is, when you start dating somebody new, how do you know when to sleep together? And the the reason I think it would be meaningless to you is because I think your answer might be, when I want to. No. No? No. Okay. No. Tell me. Okay. Here's what I think. You long game that shit, not in a, like, Amishy way. This surprises me. I expected Brett to say, have sex as soon as possible. Live your best life or whatever. Here's what I think. I think people, it's not, this is not a man thing. This is like, this is an everybody thing. They like delayed gratification. They want discipline. They want, they want to have to work for something because it's all so readily available. Like in the thing, I, I don't know. It's just that like, I feel like there's nothing to be gained by sleeping with somebody too soon. I say you drag that out a little bit. It's like everyone is so free that you're also missing the, like, anticipation thing. So I wish I had waited longer. Brett slept with her husband shortly after meeting him. Waiting has never been her thing. Did she wish she played hard to get instead? Because her relationship has worked out. Why is she suddenly preaching patience? Also, and let me tell as a married person, let me tell you this. This is what I'm going to say. Here we go. Good luck. Good luck getting back to a point where you're just making out and doing all the feels of the touchings and the heavy pettings or whatever, and you're not getting it in. Good luck getting back to that. You got you to literally like have a verbal discussion about this because it's just going to go to sex and you're going to miss those days where you're making out like a high schooler. You make out like a high schooler for as long as you can. Well, high schooler back in our time. Nowadays, Jesus, I can't even imagine. Ah, yes, this is more romantic and nice. And I'll accept this idea, that you can hold out with someone you like because why not enjoy every little stage of romance? There will be plenty of time for everything else. Obviously, Brett's perspective isn't the only one. Let's turn to another. Justin Lee Miller has a blog called Sex and Psychology. He's a research fellow at the very famous Kinsey Institute, but I met him when he taught psychology of human sexuality at Harvard. One of Justin's areas of expertise is sexual fantasy. He wrote a book about it called Tell Me What You Want. I can't keep a copy in the house because people keep stealing it from me. I surveyed almost 4,200 Americans from all 50 states, and they completed an online survey that had 369 questions. The 69 was not intentional. It just kind (laughs) of happened. Um, But uh, I asked them about their biggest turn-ons, as well as hundreds of people, places, and things that they might have fantasized about. And then uh, lots of questions about their personality, their sexual history, their demographics. And ultimately, I wanted to look at what is it that people are fantasizing about and what do our fantasies say about us? I became very obsessed with Justin's book. And one thing I learned from it was that the men who took his survey said that they were more likely to fantasize about a specific person— like their high school sweetheart or their dentist. Women, on the other hand, are far more likely to imagine faceless partners and having sex with many partners at the same time. Take from that whatever you want. So those are the fantasies. But what about real life? And I'm just going to put it to you very bluntly. How do you know when you should sleep with someone? And let me be specific, not just like nap with someone, have sex with someone. The answer to me is when it feels right for you. 
you know, there are no hard and fast rules for when you should jump into bed with someone. And if you look at the research on when people have sex and how that's related to later relationship outcomes, you don't really see much difference between people who have sex on the first date and then people who wait weeks or months or or, or longer. So I still know so many people, and I will say that most of the people who say this are straight friends, Mm -hmm. they start doing this math, right? Like, well, if I wait this long, I might get this outcome, or if I do this too quickly. And, you know, now I'm in my 40s, and I thought that would have gone away to some extent, but I think there were so many years of women being socialized to hold out in a particular way. And even though my straight women friends are much more likely to unapologetically ask for what they want, there's still that question of, did this fail because I gave of myself. I think we all have a tendency to sort of overthink our relationships and we want to go back and find some convenient explanation for why something worked and something didn't. So my advice is to not get so hung up on thinking about that and analyzing it and and looking for patterns because there really aren't any great formulas that can predict whether a relationship is going to work in the long run or not. Of course, I can't not analyze this kind of thing. It's my job. What about this fear that if I sleep with this person on a first or second date or just very quickly, that they will lose interest in me, that they will not follow up? So there is some research suggesting that playing hard to get to a degree might make you more desirable as a long-term partner. Ugh, don't tell me that. I That's know. like the rules. <laughs> I don't <laughs> And and this is not to say that it works in every case. You know, everything is different for everybody. And I think the answers are different based on gender and sexual orientation. But there there is some research. I think the work I'm thinking of is specifically on heterosexual men, where if it's a, a woman who is perceived as having high availability or low availability. What Justin is saying is that straight men might be more interested in pursuing women who are just out of their reach. If she's perceived as low available and attractive, men are willing to spend more money on a date with her and are more interested in pursuing a relationship with her. So, you know, there is something to that idea of of scarcity. Okay, okay. This bums me out. I do not want to believe that anyone has to deny themselves or withhold to be desirable. But Justin says you can't really game the system because everybody experiences this on their own terms. Everyone has what's called a sociosexual orientation. And this is the term scientists use to refer to the degree to which you see sex and emotion is going together. If you're someone who has what's called a restricted sociosexual orientation, basically you think that you can't really have sex without love. If you're somebody who has what's called an unrestricted orientation, then you think sex and love are these separate things. And you can have casual sex easily without emotional entanglements. And so I think figuring out when is the right time for me to have sex, you need to know what your sociosexual orientation is. Because if you need to have that love, if you need to have that emotional connection first, then you want to wait longer than if you're somebody who you see these things as separate. At some point in my time doing this, it became clear that many people had been told that date three meant something. Where did that come from? <laughs> Sex in the city is the answer that oh, I shit. often hear. <laughs> right? um, we can blame so much. <laughs> exactly. It's the source of all of our sexual problems. Um, I, because there was this episode of Sex in the City, uh, I think it was Charlotte, I believe, talking about the so-called three-date rule. And it, it, this idea may have existed before that, but I think that's sort of what popularized it. And ultimately, it's BS. You know, there, There's no such 
thing as a three-day rule or a hard and fast rule that you can apply that's going to guarantee a successful relationship. Honestly, when people ask me when they should have sex, I think it's because they're seeing a pattern in their own lives as they look for a meaningful relationship. Like something they're doing, maybe going on an app date and having instant sex, isn't working for them, and they believe the pace of it all is why they're single. And this brings me now to my friend Scott's story. When Scott changed his patterns, he changed his life. More on that after the break. We're back. Last year, I was hanging out with my friend Scott, and we got into this question of when to sleep with someone. And Scott looked at me and said, oh, I think waiting to have sex made all the difference in my relationship. He told me his story, his case for waiting, and I do think there's a lesson in it. Scott spent his early 20s enjoying his single life. It was such a different time in my life. I had dated women throughout high school and college, and now I was living on my own in a new city in graduate school, and I finally came to terms with who I was. And so I was like a kid in a candy store, I think, making up for lost time. After a while, though, He's ready for something more. But the pattern keeps repeating itself. Meet a guy like that Hugh Grant lookalike. Sleep with him and say goodbye. I think I was just tired of meeting people in bars and I was ready for some kind of a relationship. I didn't really know what that looked like. And I posted some personal ads in Bay Windows, which is a weekly gay newspaper. And this was before the internet, really. But those dates are mostly the same. Sex on a first date, and nothing more. Then he asks a colleague if she knows anyone to set him up with. She gives him two men to choose from. And I said, great, I'll go out with both of them. And she immediately said, well, you know, they're very close friends. You're going to have to pick one. Scott chooses one. The guy's a doctor. He likes the arts. He's older. Well, we almost didn't have the first date because we were talking on the phone, and I was in the middle of a DIY home project where I had painted my bedroom in stripes. So one stripe was shiny and the other one was dull. And I left the tape on, I guess, for a week. And as I'm talking with him, I am pulling the tape off of the wall. And with each yank of the tape, a chunk of the wall came off. And I kept swearing, I guess, into the phone. And he was a little turned off by that. But they do make a plan to hang out. I told him I would be wearing a black leather jacket and jeans, which... Like literally everyone else in the like South every End? Like gay guy in the South End. And he said he'd be wearing a forest green uh, parka. And all I could think of was, I'm going to be meeting Forrest Gump on this date. It's a lunch date, and they talk about that DIY home project. And then it's like, maybe we should go down the street and see those painted walls? So you talk about a home renovation project. He's like, I'll come see your weird striped walls that you have screwed up. Pretty, pretty much. It, but it was, and I didn't have any ulterior motives. Like I mean, you weren't like, we're going to go back and... No, I didn't. I just really, I, I didn't. It's not that I had low expectations. I just didn't really have any expectations. I thought he was a nice guy and I was enjoying spending time with him. 
on any other outing, come see my striped walls, would have meant only one thing. But they wait. Not because Scott was holding out. Really, it was because it was a day date, and they both had other afternoon plans. But Scott says that simple pause changed the tone of things. I I definitely noticed that it was different from how other dates or get-togethers had ended. And I remember I met a former colleague of mine at this party, and I remember telling her how excited I was about the date. They make plans for the next night. They're going to watch a movie. The guy comes over to Scott's place, and the sexual tension builds, because it can. There was definitely a a nervous energy. I was nervous because I wasn't sure. I, I mean, I thought he liked me. I thought we had nice chemistry. And then he came over. I had a love seat and a chair with an ottoman. And it would have been really awkward for both of us to sit on the love seat because I felt like we would have been smushed. So he was on the love seat, I was on the chair, and as we're watching the movie, I really didn't want to be on the chair anymore. You wanted to be in the love seat? I wanted to be on the love seat, but I didn't quite know how to do it in a way that, you know, where I wasn't kind of leaping out of the chair and onto the love seat. So what did you do? I pretended I had to go to the bathroom. I was just going to say, you get up and you pee. Exactly. And then and you're I, like, oh, I forgot where I was sitting. Now and, I'm on the love seat. And then instead of going back to my chair, it's, I didn't even sit next to him. I, I definitely kind of jumped on him and straddled him and kissed him. Wait, Wait this I have not tried. Wait, so you weren't oh, you even just... try it, Meredith. I think you'd be great at it. <laughs> So I need to make this clear. When Scott told me how it was so important that he waited with this guy, I assumed he'd held out for months, weeks at least, days maybe? Turns out they slept together that night. The wait was only 24 hours after that first lunch. But like, they did wait, which made it feel different to Scott. It it was an awkward like teenage moment with two people watching a movie with some nervous you know, energy in the air. So you're taking a risk at this point by saying, well, you know, he's either into this or not. Absolutely. I, I mean, he didn't give any indication that he was wanting this, but he also didn't look repulsed. So, okay. I just had to, I think I just had to know at that point. I really wasn't interested in the movie. Scott starts seeing this man. It's a real relationship and they're exclusive. But I wondered when he knew it was serious. We were talking on the phone and he had just, had his alarm installed. And so he wanted to give me this secret passcode in case the alarm went off and I had to call the alarm company. And he said, the secret code is Joey. And Joey was the person who he dated for six months prior to dating me. And I remember being horrified saying, why did you pick that name of all people that you know in your life? And he then started to scramble. Well, I would have picked you, but that would have been too obvious. And it was the first name that popped into mine. I remember smoke coming out of my ears and was probably our first argument. Yeah, we finished the call and I was still steaming. So I called him back, but because he didn't have call waiting, it just kept like bringing busy. So after a half hour, I remember it was a cold night. I put my 
you know, sweatpants on and my jacket. And I went storming up Mass Ave, banging on the door to kind of have this <laughs> discussion about it. And he, he promptly changed the name. That's what he was doing him. on the phone? No, 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 oh. no. It was after my outburst. He, the next day he called the alarm company. I think looking back that I care, that's when I realized, like, oh, I really care. Many years later, after they moved in together, things began to feel like forever. Around the holidays one year, Scott's partner buys him a series of gifts. I'm thinking that, like, oh, this, he may be proposing. And I was really excited. But then I was getting nervous that if it wasn't, then I was going to be really pissed. And so the first one was a mug with the letter U. And then there was a toast cutter. At the time, it was this, somebody had seen the Virgin Mary in a piece of toast. So he got this toast cutter with Mary on it. And there was a, a Christmas ornament that had a little boy's name at the bottom, which Will. There was a framed photo of him. So it was like, Will you, Mary? And then there was a big, like, fake diamond from, I think he got a TJ Maxx. So it spelled out, Will you marry me? And I was so overcome by emotion. All I did was I just leapt up into his lap and, you know, gave him this big hug. Scott and his now husband have been living in Boston together for many years. So my takeaway from Scott's story is not that it's best to wait. Scott waited a whole 24 hours to have sex with his now husband. So it's not as though holding out was the key to building what they have. For Scott, it was about breaking out of a routine. Every date was beginning to feel the same. That's what I think is really holding us back when we ask this question. It's the patterns and how we stop ourselves from really seeing individual experiences for what they are. Like, I'm the opposite of this. I always wait with anyone who seems great, just because that's what I've always done. But I can't say it's really gotten me anywhere. I, my advice would be, you know, when it feels right. I mean, often it feels right in one way, but and that way can overtake the rest of the ways it might feel right or wrong. Or I mean, I think that you know there could be an emotional connection, there could be a physical connection. I don't think that if somebody sleep, if, if people sleep together on the first date, that it, it's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's in many ways it's a test of you know sexual compatibility, because if it's just not there, the passion's not there, things just don't work right. I think it's important to know that early on. Because I think that, you know, sex is an important component of a relationship, but over time it becomes less important and, you know, less frequent. And if you don't have a friendship and a foundation and a, a healthy relationship, you know, you could have the, you know, the best sex of your life, but that just doesn't carry you over time. I'll leave you with some helpful context. Turns out, Scott's husband is a lot like me. And in, in look, you know, looking back, I know him. He would, I mean, if I hadn't made the first move, we would still be waiting 20 years later for it to have happened. So, how do you know when to sleep with someone? I think our expert, Justin Lee Miller, would say that of all the research, the key takeaway is that when you have sex, 
has no real influence on the outcome of a relationship. And that's really liberating. Brett's point about holding out is just about enjoying every stage of a relationship. You only get those early days once. And if your goal is forever, you might want to hold on to those first kisses for as long as possible. And Scott's lesson is also so important. If your habits and patterns in dating and sex aren't working for you, try something else. Maybe I should stop waiting so long. Maybe. I guess I could approach this like some podcast listeners do, at 1.5 speed. Our next episode is the last of season three. It's a big how-do-you-know question that gives me a lot of hope. We'll also hear a final word from Lance, the man we've been following this season. I'm living heaven walking down the street Last night it won't let me be Time and time again the scene replays Only love could ever feel this way Baby, history will repeat itself tonight Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Our senior producer is Amy Padula. Our executive producer is Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith is our audience engagement manager. Special thanks to Brian McGrory and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. Are you trying to figure out how to know something in your relationship? Do you have another love problem? I will help you. Please email me. Send a note to loveletters at boston.com or find us on Twitter at Love Letters Blog. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Learn more at loveletters.show. Oh, and just a note. Brett does want you to know she did not sleep with her husband on the first date. I waited till the third date, bitch. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening. Tonight.